All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word. We'll read the passage and then we'll uh, jump into uh, where we started last week. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you and ask that you would do all of these things that we just read. And Father, today as we look at uh, asking you to forgive us our sins, and we try to look at what forgiveness is, that majestic, glorious doctrine. Uh, Father, I pray you would just give us insight into what you have done for us and what that means for us, that we would rejoice in the God who saves, in the God who forgives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, and so uh, last week we've been we've been looking for a few weeks now at this idea of uh, this this fifth request of the Lord, you know, uh, forgive us our debts. And so we've started looking at we looked at what our debt was, and now we're looking at what is what is forgiveness. And so last week we looked at, you know, everyone likes to talk about forgiveness. It's a, it's a big topic no matter where you are, no matter what someone's doing. Everyone knows that God forgives. Uh, I've had plenty of conversations in, in the most uh, needed to be forgiven circumstances. Uh, and no matter where you are, people know one thing about God and that's he forgives. But if you ask them what forgiveness is, they have a hard time really telling you what is forgiveness. And the truth is many of us. We, we know what the word, we know the word forgiveness, but we might have made up our own sort of definition for that word, our own idea. And so last week we went to the Bible for the answer and we looked at the Old Testament, New Testament, that in both the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, forgiveness comes from words that mean to send away, to take away, to lift up, to carry away, uh, that we saw even the English word forgive comes from the idea of giving away. In the Old English, when this word was formed, this English word was formed, it was to give away. That's what forgiving uh, meant. And so we looked at a good working definition of forgiveness being taking away what is owed or what is deserved. So that's what, what is forgiveness. It is taking away what is owed, taking away what is deserved. And so when we pray, Father, forgive us our debts, we're asking for God to take away what we owe, that God would take away our, if we remember what we looked at, that he would take away our infinite, uh, compounding, deadly, disqualifying, unbearable debt that we cannot get away from, that we can't deny, we can't avoid, we can't transfer, we can't escape. Our only hope for that debt is for that debt to be taken away for that debt to be forgiven. And so when we pray, Father, forgive us our debts, we recognize what that debt is, and we recognize what we're asking. We're asking for God to lift that away, to take that unbearable weight off of us and bear it himself. And we know that he placed it, like we saw last week, he does that by placing it on the head of his son. 
And so that's what we looked at. We looked at how are we forgiven. And we saw the storyline of forgiveness is not something new in the Bible. Forgiveness is not something that God just started to do when Jesus showed up. The, the, the picture of forgiveness, of atonement, of our debts being paid, you can be traced all the way, all the way to the beginning of Scripture, all the way back to the law. Uh, and so we saw this picture of, you know, in Leviticus of these, this goat that bears our sins off, takes them away, lifts them away for us. Uh, and then we saw the promise in Isaiah that eventually the one who's going to do that, it's not going to be a goat. It's going to be this suffering servant who's going to bear our debts, who's going to carry away our iniquities. And then we saw in Christ, uh, we find the, the Lamb of God. We find one who is, is the Lamb servant who takes away our sin, and not just our sin, but the sin of the whole world. And he does so by, he lifts up our sin when he is lifted up on the cross. Uh, and so that's, that's the picture, that's what forgiveness is, and that's the picture of forgiveness that we see tracing all the way from the beginning of Scripture. Well, now that we know what forgiveness is, it's taking away our debt, taking away our our sin, uh, let's look at how the Bible describes the results of our forgiveness. We could call it the the blessings of uh, of forgiveness. God promises blessings that are tied to our debt being taken away. I mean, debt taken away is great, right? That's, That's the chief thing. But when God does that, there are secondary blessings or realities that occur as he is doing that. So we're going to look at what are the blessings of forgiveness. Yet our debts are taken away. That's what forgiveness is. But it also comes with added blessings. Things that are going to make it, that are going to fill out this picture of forgiveness for us. So when we pray, Father, forgive us, we see the taking away of debt. But we also know when he takes away that debt, what is going to fill its place? We know the blessings that are going to come in that debt being taken away, the other blessings that are going to flood our lives that beyond just get away my debt, we're going to see good that is going to come out of a, uh, for us uh, as well. And so we're going to see this, uh, we're going to see that forgiveness is going to do something, it's going to do something to our sin, which is what we're going to look at this week. That forgiveness does something to our sin. That's going to be important for us to remember as we continue to battle our sin. And we're going to see that forgiveness next week. We're going to see that forgiveness does something to us. Uh, it's going to it's going to be very important in our holification. We're going to see how God uses forgiveness to drive us to holiness. But this week, like I said, we're going to look at what does forgiveness do to our sin. What does forgiveness do to our sin? And again. We could, we could write a bunch of stuff as to what forgiveness does to our sin. There's, I mean, I could, I could have, we'd have, you know, years worth of sermons in what being forgiven means for our sin. But I've limited us to texts where the Bible says you've been forgiven and that's what, that, that means this for your sin. So we're just looking at texts where the Bible talks about our forgiveness and the effects of that forgiveness specifically to our sin, to our uh, debt. And so we're going to see just a couple things uh, that when our debt is taken away, what happens? What, how does the Bible describe the situation when we've been forgiven? The first thing we're going to see that happens when we are forgiven is our debt is paid. So when our debt is taken away, it's not just taken away and sort of just amorphously disappears. When our debt is taken away, your debt becomes paid. Okay, 
your debt is paid. It's not just dissolved. It's not just ignored. Your debt becomes paid. Uh, We can see this in Colossians chapter 2. It's going to be important because if our debt is paid, that means we don't owe anything anymore. We don't owe any, that, that, that sin has been paid for. And we're going to say this is very important for us, and it's also very important for the character of God. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By, so forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So when we sinned, we looked at this, when we sinned, we owed a debt to God. uh, And God says he has a record of this debt. There is a record of every sin that you have committed and the justice that is due for that sin. And that record of sin stood against us. You know, this is the, in other words, this is the just thing that should happen for, to, to Chris for what he's done. There is a record of the, the things that I had done and the justice that those things required. There's a record of the debt that I owed and it had legal demands tied to it. This record of debt with its legal demands saying basically, this is what justice requires. This is how Jerry lived his life. This is what he did and this is what justice would be for him. This is how Kyle lived. You know, when he was 12, he did this. When he was 14, he did this. And then this and this and this because he's a 14-year-old. And then then this is how, this is how, you know, this is how Gabby has lived. This is how Jolton, like all of this record of debt for what we had done standing against us. This is justice, God. And that's important because remember, this is a debt that God cannot simply let go. Because because he has sworn in talking about his own character that he is not a God who simply clears the guilty. Remember Exodus 34, 6 through 8? How does he choose to describe himself? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting that iniquity on the, uh, of the fathers on the children and the children's children, the third and the fourth generation. So basically, God is not, look, I, God is saying, you want to know who I am? I'm a just judge. I am just. Remember the word just is the same word as righteous. I'm a righteous judge. And so we, we, we cannot forget that God is a just, just judge. Unlike the judges of the world, God cannot be bribed. He's not going to make a wrong decision. He's not going to go woke. Like none of that is going to happen. He is going to be a God who proclaims true biblical justice. And that means he cannot simply clear the guilty. That's what he says. 
And that sounds great when you're reading it. You're like, God will not clear the guilty until you realize that the guilty is us. It sounds great that God doesn't let the guilty go free. And we've got a list of the guilty we're ready for him to take care of. Uh, we've got, you know, God's like, I've got a record of debt. And you're like, I've got a record of people's debts too. What are the odds? Uh, that, but when we realize the record of debt, as Colossians says, is standing against us, now all of a sudden it becomes a big deal that God is just. Because we know what we deserve. We can't plead ignorant. We've, I mean, we spent weeks looking at what the Bible said about what we deserve for our sin. So, so if, if we've got this record of debt filled with the infinite debt that we owe, what hope do we have? What hope do we have? Because when we read that he will not clear the guilty, I hope your first thought in that isn't, well, the guilty is them. I, thought, I hope your first thought, your realization was, hey, that's me. And it's great that he forgives sin and iniquity and transgression, but he also says he won't clear the guilty. It's great that he is, you know, abounding in steadfast love and and faithfulness, but he will not clear the guilty. And I am guilty. And that's why Colossians 2 is important. Look back at Colossians 2 again. How does he cancel our debt? Well, it's paid. The, the, The payment, he says, of what we owed, that record of debt is nailed to the cross. Our debt is not sort of forgotten. It's not simply cleared or ignored. Our debt is paid by Christ on the cross. And that means that debt is then Canceled. I love, I hate the translation canceled because sometimes in Greek they have such amazing words. The word there uh, in the Greek instead of canceled is a, com- is a combination of two words for wiping and away. Our debt is wiped away. You could even translate it smeared, smeared away. I, I, just, I love, I love that. I think that's such a great word picture. The record of our debt, line upon line of what we owed And God, with the blood of Christ, smears it out and then nails it to the cross. Takes our debt, takes the blood of Christ, smears out that debt. So the debt is gone. It is wiped away. That record of debt doesn't even exist anymore. It's not like on the cross is a record of all the things you've done wrong so that you can remember them. He remembers them. He smears it out and then nails it. It is erased. We've got to make sure when we're talking about forgiveness and when we're talking about it for ourselves and to the world that we're not presenting forgiveness as merely a clearing of people who are guilty. Because forgiveness of sin and clearing the guilty are obviously not the same thing. That's why God says in Exodus 34, I forgive iniquity, but I don't clear the guilty. If they're the same thing, then God's got some sort of weird divine schizophrenia going on and saying the exact opposite of what he just previously said. So forgiving sin is not the same as clearing the guilty. And we see that because God doesn't just let sin go. Sin is paid. Our debt is paid and it is paid on the cross so that you and I are no longer guilty. We owe nothing. In fact, that record has been wiped away, has been smeared out. The only thing covering it, which remember the word atonement means cover. The only thing covering it is the blood of Christ. 
That's why the writer of Hebrews can say in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, down in verse 17 and 18. He says, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, where there's forgiveness of sins and forgiveness of lawless deeds, there is no longer any offering for sin. So where there's forgiveness of lawlessness, there's no more offering to be paid. There's no, there's no more payment required. And man, that'd be so good. That'd be, man, that'd be good for us to remember that. When, when you're forgiven, it's not, it's not that God forgives you, but yeah, you've still got some stuff to do to make up for how you lived. It's not that God forgives you, but he's like, I'm forgiving you, but you know, you better spend the next 20 years making up for the last 20 now. You got a lot to make up for here. When you, when you and I, this is, this is important for us understanding forgiveness in this way because of this. Because we'll lie to ourselves. And when you and I act like we're still guilty, even though we've been forgiven, if we still hold on to some weird form of, you know, fake pious guilt, when we're doing that, we're not being humble. And, and, and we're not being pious. And we're not, we're not doubting ourselves ultimately. When we do that, we're doubting the forgiveness of God. Because God says, when I forgive, my payment for your debt is so full and so sufficient that there's nothing left to pay. So quit acting like, yeah, God has forgiven me, but I've got to do all this and that and this to earn that forgiveness or make up for it or or meet in the middle or, you know, form some sort of, you know, uh, weird, you know, rebalancing of the sheet. That's not what you have to do. you, You owe nothing because of Christ. You are no longer guilty because if you were guilty, then you have no hope of heaven. If you're guilty at all, if Christ can forgive you and you still be guilty at all, then you have no hope of, then you still just owe an, an infinite debt. Either Christ has forgiven you and you are no longer guilty or you, the weight and, and of eternal damnation still hangs over you. So don't do, we cannot, we cannot do the, he's forgiven me, but I'm still, oh, you know, ugh, I'm still so wretched and horrible and bad. Uh, that doesn't, that's not about us. That's ultimately says what we think about him and about the forgiveness that he gives. And that's what Romans 3 picks up this as well. Even Romans tells you this, right? If there was any place you'd think it'd be like, yeah, you've been forgiven, but you still stink. Uh, you'd think it'd be Romans, but Romans is Romans 3. Listen to what it says. Beginning in verse 23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yes. That, we go, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But look at what it says. And are justified, are made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. So why, so why does God do this and cover us and make a propitiation, redeem us, forgive us? Why? This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So you're clearing the guilty, God. They're guilty. You're clearing the guilty. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God must be just, right? He can't just let sin go. It's against his nature. It's against who he is. If God did that, he would cease to be himself. But in Christ, and in our sins being laid on him, like the goat in Leviticus 16, and in Christ, God is able to be just. This sin is paid for. He's not clearing the guilty. He's being just and at the same time justifier because we recognize, but I wasn't just at first. And so God is just, the sin is paid for, and because my sin is paid for, I am now justified, righteousified. I am now made righteous. How? How is that possible? Well, we saw that in Colossians 2 because forgiveness cancels our debt. It pays our debt. So that when you're thinking about what has happened in forgiveness, God has paid the debt for all of your sin. That record of debt that stood against you has been paid. That's why John can assure believers in 1 John. In 1 John, he can tell them, look, you don't need to fear that you're going to confess your sin and find out this time when you confess it that you're not going to find forgiveness. You don't have to be afraid that you're going to confess your sins and God say, no, I'm not forgiving it. It's not happening. Why? I mean, look at what he says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we, we often look at this verse and, and, and we see it like this promising that if we confess, God's going to be faithful. If you confess, God will be faithful. He'll forgive you. Don't worry. But it doesn't just say that God will be faithful. What does it say? It says that he will be faithful and just. In other words, because our debt has been paid by Christ, it would be unjust now for God to not forgive us. Why? Because because Christ has borne the penalty for our sins, we don't owe anything. Not because we're great now, but because Christ has really paid our debt. And if Christ has paid our debt, then John says forgiving and cleansing are just just actions. They're just righteous actions. And our God is a just, a righteous God. And he will by no means clear the guilty, but he will also by no means punish the righteous. And in Christ, God is showing himself to be both just and justifier. So when we pray, our Father, forgive us our sins, we're praying that our debt would be paid. When we're saying, Father, forgive us our sins, take those sins away, we're recognizing when he lifts those sins off of us, he lifts them up to nail them to the cross. And in the process of taking our sins off of us, he takes the blood of Christ and smears that record of debt away. 
and nails that. Not a big, long list, you know, because what we think happens sometimes is it's a big, long list of all the stuff we've still done, and it's there for all eternity, for us to remember, everybody to remember, and we go back, and we still recount, I can't believe I used to do this, and I used to do that, and I'm still doing this, and I'm still doing that, all this stuff, and, and, and that's still there forever. No, when he nails it to the cross, it is wiped away. What you have done, your debt, and you go, wait, is this the debt I'm going to do too? Well, yeah, the cross happened before you did anything, right? It was all debt you were going to do when he nailed it to the cross. Everything you've done or will do, those debts wiped away by the blood of Christ so that those debts are paid, fully paid, so that God can be just and you can be justified. You can be made righteous. So remember, in forgiveness, our sins are fully paid. Our debt is paid. But in forgiveness, it's not only that our debt is paid. There's another thing that happens to our sin as well. So the debt we accrued from our sin, that's paid off in full, wiped away, smeared out. But the next thing we see is our sin is utterly destroyed. And I, and I, lo- I'm gonna lo- I love this passage in Micah. I think it's really cool. Uh, I love when God talks about being big and bad and doing great things to our sin because I hate my sin. Uh, but listen to what God says about destroying our sin. So our sin is destroyed. Micah chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquities? So there's that. There's that word, lift, it's the word lifted up, lifting up our iniquity, pardoning our iniquity, forgiving our iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of so when, when, all, when we are forgiven, when our iniquity is pardoned, verse 18, when our iniquity is pardoned, God's anger is not, it says, retained. God's anger is no longer retained. At least not retained where? Not retained toward us. God's anger is not gone. God's anger is directed, but it's directed not at us anymore. It's directed at our sin. And look at what God does here. God takes our sin and he smashes it under his feet. And you'll see that imagery throughout the scripture. This this idea of when God wants to utterly defeat enemies, it's going to be smashed underfoot. There's a foot smashing going on. Uh, when God, it'd be like, you know, he's going to throw his sandal. No, he's going to smash, smash them under. So you got Genesis 3, right, to the serpent. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's going to crush your head. That's a play on words. That bruise can, can, is, is translated a lot in the Old Testament as crushing. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, quoting, quoting the most popular Old Testament verse in the New Testament says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Where do his enemies go? They go under his feet. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will what? Will soon crush Satan under your feet? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So from Genesis to 1 Corinthians to to Romans 16, when God wants to utterly defeat enemies... He smashes them under his feet. And that's what we do too, right? When you see a bug, well, if you're in our house, when you see a bug, you know what you do? You yell for Papa, he gets a paper towel, and I pick it up and I take it outside. But 
in some, you know, very violent households. Uh, you know, the bug is, you smash it, you smash it under your foot, like you crush it. And that's what God does to our sin. He smashes it under his feet. And, and, and so the same, what's interesting is the same thing that's happening to Christ's enemies, this great proclamation of the advancement of the kingdom, Christ's enemies are falling one by one under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. So as that's happening, we're like, wow, that's amazing. But you know what God is also doing in that? God is also crushing our sin under his, one of the things thrown under the feet of God is your sin. The sin that you hate. The sin that you despise, the sin that seems to cling to you and you, you, you hate it and hate what it does to you and you just want to be rid of it. The good thing is God takes that sin and he crushes it under his feet. This destruction is a complete destruction so that Isaiah can say in Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So to us, to us, our sin seems unbearable. It seems unstoppable at times. It's unbeatable foe. But to God, your sin? Like, oh, is my, is my sin going to be too much for Christ to bear? I mean, I know God is forgiving, but he forgives people like this who grew up in homes like this and didn't already do this and weren't still struggling with that. That's who he's forgiven. He can't forgive my sin. And God says, look, I am going to take your sin and I'm going to blot it out like it's a cloud on a sunny day. I'm going to get rid of it. I'll take your sin. It'll be like mist. And when we are forgiven... When our debt is taken away, our sins are destroyed. And they are no more. But look, but look, at, look at Micah. He doesn't just, he doesn't, he doesn't. Go back to Micah 17, or Micah 7. He doesn't just crush our sins under his feet. What does he do? Look down at verse 19. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Again, what an amazing picture of what God is doing to our sin. He casts our sins into the depths of the Picture this really good. God, God crushes our sin, treads it under his foot, and then he takes the dead carcass of your sin and throws it into the... He crushes it, and then he takes it, and he throws it into the depths of the sea. Now, obviously, God isn't going out into the middle of the Pacific and dropping sin into the, you know, the Marianas Trench. And if we finally get a submarine down there, you're just going to find a whole bunch of sin uh, down there. So what does it mean that he throws them into the depths of the sea? What do we care that he's was he throwing them into the sea? Does that mean, so don't go into the deep water. That's where your sins are. Uh, what's he saying? Well, that picture of, uh, of throwing our sins into the depths of the sea means they're no more. They're gone. They're not going to be a problem anymore. They, they, they no longer exist. They're no longer an issue. They're destroyed and therefore forgotten. In other words, God doesn't hold onto the memories of your sins. So God doesn't crush the, your sins and then put them on a belt to, that you're reminded of every time you see him. You know, here's all the skulls of all the sins that Leah did. You know, here's, here's, the, here's the, 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 all the things that, that Clay has done 
and they're kept there as, you know, tokens. He says he crushes them and then throws them into the depths of the sea. Uh, And the Bible's replete with examples of God telling us when our sin is forgiven, he he doesn't cling to it. He casts it away. So, for example, Isaiah 38, 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. So here we get this idea. You've taken my sin and you don't hold on to it. God doesn't cling to your sin. And every time you do something, it reminds you again, like this is what, don't you remember how bad you are? Don't you remember this sin that I had to kill? It's not some weird menagerie of all the things that he's done for you that he brings up every time you fail. When God forgives you, he crushes that iniquity and throws it into the depths. It is behind his back so that it is no more to him. The idea is that God delivers us, and then he's done with that sin. He doesn't keep bringing it up. That's not what defines us to him. He doesn't hold it over us. The example you're going to see in Scripture a lot is that when our sin is destroyed like that, it is destroyed from his memory. So, for example, Isaiah 43, 25 I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. See the same thing in Jeremiah 31, down in verse 34. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In forgiveness, God destroys our sin and remembers it no more. I mean, that's, that's what has happened for your sin in the forgiveness that comes to us. When your sin is taken away, when your sin is forgiven, when it's taken away, God takes it away and he kills it. He lifts it off of you and he crushes it. And then he takes that lifeless body and he casts it into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. So when we pray, forgive us our sins, remember what God has done to that sin. He kills it. He crushes it under his foot. Then he chunks it into the ocean. And it's no more. It's like a mist that vanishes at dawn. So when we're thinking about forgiveness, and we're thinking about what the, the lamb servant, when he takes away our sin, when we think about our sin being born, being lifted away, think about those two things that are happening. These two realities that God ties to our forgiveness. Again, there's many other things we could try. These are two things that God says, in forgiveness, this is what happens to your debt. In forgiveness, this is what happens to your sin. Your debt has been paid. Paid. God paid it for you. That servant, that lamb, carried your sin, bore your debt for you, and paid it in full. And in his death, in his death, he killed your sin. He crushed it. He crushed it under his feet, and then he cast its carcass into the sea. 
Let's pray. Just take, take a moment to think about what we've seen that God does to our sin in forgiveness. When we say, God, forgive us our sin, this is what God, when He lifts up, when He takes away our sin, when He carries it, bears it up, this is what happens to that most hated of things. The thing we hate the most about who we were, the thing we hate the most about who we think we are, like that, that what does He do with that sin? He pays your debt. And he destroys your sin, crushes it, casts it away, and remembers it no more. Here's the question I want us to think about today. That's what God has said that he does. Do you believe him? Do you believe God about your forgiveness? Do you believe God has really fully paid the debt that you owe? Or do you still try and hold on to some of the guilt? As if you've got to repay something, as if you've got to do, as if you can repay any of it. To hold on to your guilt isn't to doubt yourself. It's to doubt God. It's to doubt the sacrifice of Christ. To think your sacrifice was great, but I've got, to, I've got to sacrifice this and that because I've got to make up for what I did. You can't. And you do not need to. There, because of Christ, there remains no more offering for sin. It is fully paid. Do you believe not only that your debt has been paid, do you believe that your sin has been killed? Do you believe that your sin has been killed, that it's been thrown into the depths of the sea and that God remembers it no more? Why why are we more tempted to hold on to our sin than God is? If God has thrown, if God has thrown away your sin, why are you digging it out of the trash? If in forgiveness God has killed your sin, why are you trying to resurrect it and give it new life? Why do you hold on to memories of what you were as if that's who you still are? Again, that's not contrition. That's doubt. It's not not you who says God has destroyed your sin. We're not just making, we're not just saying, hey guys, let's let's all say that God's destroyed our sin. It's God that says that. It's God that says he has thrown our sins behind him. No more to remember them. It's God that says he kills them and casts them behind him. So why do we feel it's our job to go and dig them back up? And the the futility of it all is that we can't even undestroy what God has destroyed. That's why when you resurrect your past, and this is why Satan is the accuser of the brethren. When you resurrect who you were, when you resurrect what God has killed, the debt that he has paid, it's always so sad and unfulfilling. Because the old us is dead. It really is. Not because of you, but because of Christ. Your sin really has been paid. You can't dig it back up and pay it. 
It's dead. It's been destroyed. It's been wiped away. The old us is dead. Your sins are destroyed. They are remembered no more. There's, there's nothing noble about holding on to our past. That sin is gone. Nailed to the cross. Cast into the depths. So Christian, leave it there. When you come to God and you confess your sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive them, believe that that debt has been paid, believe that it has been killed and cast into the depths of the sea, and don't you go back and try and dig it up. Believe what God has done. Have more faith in Him instead of thinking, but I've got to do, but I've got to do, but I've got, I haven't paid enough penance. You can't pay enough penance. I haven't done enough to make up for me doing this, God. Confess your sin. He is faithful. He is just. It is dead and gone. We're like a bunch of Christian Norman Bateses digging our sin back up and keeping it in our home after he killed it a long time ago. And it is just as weird when we do that because it is just as dead. It is destroyed. Not because of you. Not because of who you are or what you did. All because of Christ. So that's why I asked you, not do you believe in yourself, but do you believe what God has said about your sin? Do you believe what he has said about what happens in your forgiveness? Then if you do, you'll realize your debt has been paid and you'll realize your sin has been destroyed. And instead of resurrecting it, you'll just rejoice in Him. You'll rejoice in Him, you'll live for Him, and you'll leave your sin behind. Father, we come to you today, God, because you, this is what you've done, this is what you've done for us in our forgiveness. And Father, you could have, you could have just told us we're forgiven and then not explained even all that is taking place in that forgiveness. You didn't have to give us Micah 7. You didn't have to give us Colossians 2. You didn't have to show us that our record of debt is smeared away. That it's gone and nailed to the cross. You just could have said, hey, you're forgiven. Not even explain the ins and outs of it. But you did, Father. And you did it so because you know our fickle natures. You know how easily we doubt and question. And so God, help us to believe you. Help us to believe you about what you say you've done to our debt and to our sin. And help us to magnify you. Because it doesn't do any good, Father. It doesn't do any good for us to heap more of the work on us. To think that some of it has to be fixed by us. We've got to surely do this. or surely. If when we recognize it's all you. You lift it up. And when you lift it up, it is paid. And it is killed. And it is remembered no more. There is truly no God like you. Forgiving sin and iniquity and transgression, but by no means clearing the guilty. Taking our debt and laying it on the head of your son. And he lifts up that sin when he is lifted up on the cross for us. And in his death, he kills our enemy. He crushes it under his feet and casts its lifeless body into the sea to be remembered no more. May we remember that, Father. May we believe that.
And may we live for you, the God who has forgiven us, who has paid our debt, and who has destroyed our sin. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.